Welcome to episode 67 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Hey, Jason, how's it going? Great. How about yourself? I'm going good. It's a, a lovely evening here in Glendale, just looking out across the Glendale Valley, or as I call it, Glendale uh, de Janeiro. So are you, uh, are you guys still thinking about moving to uh, Pasadena? Yeah, we are. We, we've been looking around. We've, we've looked at a few places. Um, that It's not like we're going to make the move soon, but maybe sometime within the next six months, say. Right. Well, if you get over here, maybe it'll be easier for us to get back doing the tech lunch. Yeah. Our Saturday, our Saturday geek lunch or whatever. <laughs> well, I was thinking of setting up a studio in the new place that I moved to, and maybe we could uh, actually record some of the shows in the same studio. Well, you know what we could do is uh, is create a, like a video version of the show. That would be cool. Now, that would be awesome. I'd help you yeah. set that up. That would be that'd be kind of cool. So, yeah, I, I'm down. I think you should do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what do you got this week? Well, I got a couple of topics. Um, actually, one of the things that's uh, it's it's just a a pretty simple thing, but I just uh, signed up to the Netflix service. Right. I don't know whether you sign up to that. I, yeah, like, yeah, we have um, we have like the three DVDs at a time plan, which is like I don't know, fourteen bucks a month or something like that. Did I signed up for the basically so that I could get access to the instant stuff? Right. Oh, and, the streaming service. Yeah. Okay, it's fantastic. Like eight eight ninety nine a month, all you can watch of what they have, and it's great when you train it. I was sitting there training it for like half an hour yesterday, picking all the <laughs> the different films and ratings, and then it's uh, it's got this tab that says movies that you'll love. Click on it, and it's it's really good. You know, oh, that, so by training it, you, you, what you do is you go, you rate movies or TV shows that you've really liked. Exactly, exactly. And then based on that, it it figures you'll like these other shows. Yeah, right, right. Okay, that I I, I use something. I used to have a music service like that called uh, that I subscribed to called Launchcast. Oh yeah, they closed that down. It was a Yahoo, Yahoo bought them, and then after a while they closed it down. And they did a good job of of sort of recommending shows like that or uh, music. And I currently subscribe to Last FM, which I think does something sort of similar. Oh right. But you think the recommender service works well? I think the recommender service works well, and I'm surprised at how seamless the whole streaming thing is. It just works really nicely on the iPad. It works fantastically on the iPhone. And of course, uh, you know, on the on the lap, on the PC, it works great too. Uh, now, I had heard that, or not heard. I guess when I had looked last looked at it, it was like all the movies and stuff they had were old movies. There wasn't there wasn't a lot of things that were current. I mean, is that still the case, or is it, or is it? Just- I think that 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 is the case for the instantly streaming stuff. I mean, there's stuff I, there's stuff within the last I don't know, maybe a year old kind of thing. But that oh. doesn't matter because there's so many classic movies across time. So, you know, does it really... I mean, it's important for you to see these classic movies. Yeah, well, I, I don't mind about seeing stuff that's a year or two, three, you know, but I don't want, I don't want like, my choice between Ghostbusters and uh, reruns of Cheers, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, there is there is quite a few... I mean, it did feel like there was quite a few movies from the time of Ghostbusters, but it, it also felt, to me anyway, that at least 50% of it was more current than that. Okay, I'll have to check it out then. Not yeah. that I have... Uh, time to watch movies but i like the i like the theory i like the the possibility knowing that there's the mm-hmm. possibility that i could watch a movie streaming well i'm really into things like world world cinema and kind of indie cinema and french stuff so it's nice looking it's, it's nice having that stuff and that stuff's quite often just timeless you know right uh, you know i i like a lot of the i i used to watch a lot of the independent films that came out um in the 90s and uh you know early 2000s before we had kids um, things like Henry Fool. Do you remember that one? Or nope. Barcelona, uh, Last Days of Disco, that kind of stuff. I do know that kind of stuff, yeah. 
yeah, that's that's uh, that's uh, I don't I don't get a chance to watch much of it anymore. But so um, yeah, well, I actually I've heard that they were talking about that on uh, Cranky Geeks. I think recently they were talking about how like uh, the media keeps calling the death of Netflix. That, yeah, that they're dead. That Blockbuster's going to kill them, or that Walmart's going to kill them, or Amazon's going to kill them. And but the CEO of Netflix just is apparently just awesome. So he always keeps them sort of on the cutting edge and doing things that are succeeding. So it's kind of neat to see that. It's almost like you don't even need um, uh, your cable subscription. Yeah, well, I guess it really depends. You know, um, if there's certain if you have shows, Hulu and Netflix. That's pretty much you're you're pretty up to date unless you watch sports. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, if you yeah, want to yeah. watch sports or you want to watch news, then you need you need cable, I guess. Um, if all you do is watch movies or um, like old TV shows, but I don't really watch the news. I find the news on the uh, on the TV to be sort of so superficial uh, that it's sort of a waste for the most part. And you you can get that just you can you can look at the headlines on you know. Google News and and you understand what they're talking about. And of course, um, you get the real news listening to, listening to No Agenda, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, all right. So, what else you got? Um, so there was one one post saying um, some say bypassing a higher education is smarter than paying for a degree. Yeah, you know, I meant to read that. That's on my list. Uh, I, I got kind of two days behind. I felt I think about two days behind in my reading, just uh, because of a couple of late nights and um, doing work and other things. So, and that was one of my articles I wanted to read, and I'm kind of disappointed that I didn't read it. So, did you have a chance to read through it? So now you're gonna, yeah, that's what I thought you were gonna ask. I didn't exactly read through it, but I just agree with the title. <laughs> Great. That's your depth of your research. Well, I mean, uh, well, you're you're a good case study, right? You dropped out of high school and never went to college, and you've been yeah. a successful uh, uh, software professional, right? You're a CTO mm-hmm. at a startup. You've held you've held management level um, software development positions at a number of companies, right? Yes. So, in a sense, it really doesn't matter that much. I think. I, I think. Well, the the one big difference is I'm not a hundred thousand dollars in debt. Well, that's a huge thing. Well, if I guess if you go if you go to school in Europe, that's not going to happen anyway, right? Um, that's true. But in, in the US, the the debt is just unbelievable. I mean, that, that's what I've I've experienced from talking to some some US people. Well, but maybe you could tell me a little bit more about it. You know, I mean, the the the, the price of universities, the cost of going to college, is has been increasing dramatically. Um, when I went to college in between eighty nine and ninety three. Uh, University of Chicago was one of the top five most expensive. You know, I'm sure it always rotates, but they're up there. And yeah. at the time, I think it was like, I don't know, I think with room and board and everything, maybe eighteen, nineteen thousand 19000 a year. It's probably closer to like thirty or thirty five or 40 by now. That's and just unbelievable. I came out with 30000 in debt. I had five individual student loans. Yeah. So 30000 alone cost me about $300 a month over a 10-year payment plan. And so, so that wasn't a big deal, you know. I mean, three hundred dollars a month is not. If you get a, if you can just get a job, that's not a problem. Um, you know, I, I hear, I, I've read some articles like that recently. There's a lot of articles that are popping up all over the place about um, the education bubble because it's because uh, part of the thing is that the reason that universities can continue to raise their price is because you get all of this government money subsidizing the cost for through student loans, the guarantee the student loans. 
So the universities keep raising the price. And it's kind of the reason that people could buy houses, why housing prices um, took off in the uh, early 2000s and up through like 2007 or 8 is because um, credit was easy to come by. People could borrow money without, you know, really being able to demonstrate that they could they could actually make the payments, right? You didn't have to demonstrate that you had a job or, or anything. There was just, they would call it ninja knowns, which are like no income, no job. <laughs> or something like that. Okay, that's just basically subprime, right? Subprime, but it was like every, everything. Anyway, the, the 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 because people could borrow money easily, then the prices would go up. And if people can get, if if universities can raise their uh, tuition um, prices, then and they know and they just can stay in line with the other universities, which is kind of what they're doing. I mean, that's some of these ex, you know, like these people who've been in the industry, who've been in, who worked for these universities, who've since stepped out of them are saying, yeah, essentially we just look at what the, our competing universities were charging and, and if they'd raise, we'd raise, right? Knowing that the government essentially is going to, um, uh, you know, guarantee these, uh, these loans. So where does it stop? Where does the, when does the bubble pop and what happens when the bubble pops? <laughs> well, bubbles always pop <laughs> at some point, just a matter of time, you know, before they do. The thing is, it's so hard to predict when thing, when bubbles are going to pop. There's old saying that, the, in, uh, that the market can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. Right, so someone will will buy a stock or sell short something and say this is ridiculously underpriced or overpriced. This has to happen, and then it just you know can go on and continue to going one direction for quite a while, and you can go bankrupt waiting for that to happen. You may ultimately be right, and your premise is just it's just sometimes it's hard to predict the timing. And who knows? I mean, thing is the thing with education. I think is that there's it's sort of like if you don't have a college degree in the United States, you're sort of looked at as, as lower class in a way, right? Not culturally, but it's just sort of like, if you're going to have a white collar job, you kind of at the very minimum have to have a, have a uh, college degree. I mean, there are obviously a lot of examples of, of people like yourself who are very bright, who can overcome that just because they're really bright and talented, right? But unless you're really bright and talented and you have ways of demonstrating your abilities and skills, then you're kind of screwed unless you at least have it. So if that's the if that's like the price of admission to the upper middle class to the white collar world, then people are going to pay it. Parents are going to pay it. It just right. seems very strange. It is. I mean, you know, it's nobody. I think coming out of uh, coming out of college with you know fifty thousand or eighty thousand dollars in debt, and I mean, it's getting ridiculous. And especially when people can't get jobs that are that are going to allow them to pay it back very easily well if it's if it's thirty thousand a year and what is it three years that you have to do four four is this traditional four, four i mean years, right. four is okay. the standard some people you know lollygag and take a little more time but generally it's four okay so that's one hundred and twenty thousand, right and then on top of that you've got to try and think about buying a house well <laughs> you know obviously people people don't normally buy houses and you know, for quite a while after they get out of school, right? You don't get out yeah, of school. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, it's already like uh, like a hundred thousand plus is already a mortgage level loan, yeah. which basically takes. I I don't even know how it's possible to clear that down in ten years. That that seems kind of crazy. Well, that would to probably me. be you know roughly depending on the interest rate, is probably talking you know in the neighborhood of a thousand dollars a month. Okay, that's going to sink you right there for ten years. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're living cheap and you got roommates, you're living at home for a few years. Yeah, you can make some big dents. And I mean, essentially, what I did is I paid the three hundred dollars a month until for about five or six years, and then I started making. And then for a short period, I started some consulting work and started 
making you know fairly good income and i just like within like a year i just paid off the remaining yeah, 15 but, grand but 300 is very different to a thousand you know what i'm saying i mean that's, sure. that's really manageable sure. yeah, right? yeah, yeah so so the people coming out now like how can they even plan their life i mean you know it, I, I don't know how they could clear down like I without kind of really stressing themselves out i don't know how they could clear down that hundred thousand in 10 years and then with a view to getting married and like getting getting a home and getting settled and all that stuff it's it's the point where it actually totally doesn't make sense to go through that college route well like, especially if you there's an apprentice if there's a, an apprentice style opportunity well then yeah. but then you're considered blue collar right in the u.s you're considered blue collar you're not considered am, am i blue collar then well i mean like i said there are exceptions right i mean bill gates never got a degree right i mean there are always exceptions your exception you make a very good income you have very um you know sought after skill set and but i'm just saying you know there are outliers there are exceptions to the situation but the general rule is if you think of your kid not going to college you're like oh man but they're gonna be working at like walmart but why can't everyone do that i mean why why can't it it okay it's an exception now but it's a sensible exception so why can't people in their droves make a decision to go I don't through know if it's an, an apprenticeship an apprenticeship computer route i don't know so if basically, it's an exceptional situation i i, I mean a a, a a a a not an exceptional um uh situation i mean i think that i, I think I'm, I'm stating this incorrectly but essentially my point is that it worked out for you and it could work out for a certain category of people a certain pa- category of sort of technical slash creative types but i don't think that would probably be the smartest um, sort of from a risk perspective path. And you figure parents are very involved with kids in terms of making their decisions, helping them make their decisions when they're 17, 18 years old, right? So when kids say, well, I'm not going to go to college, the parents are like, the hell you're not going to college, right? You remember how we were talking with uh, Peter uh, a couple weeks ago and, and he talked about how he didn't go to college and I was like, wow. Why, why don't the parents pay? Well, the parents generally do. Generally, what happens is is the is the they'll figure out okay, the, the, you apply for admission and then you apply for financial aid. You'll say, well, this is our income, and you have to make this detailed description of your income and your savings, everything. And, and I mean that from the parents' income, right? How much right. the kids have saved away, how much the grandparents are throwing, how much they're putting in, and they'll come up with some kind of package that the parents have to pay or ten thousand a year. The 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 university will throw in a certain amount the, the kid will have to expect to take a certain amount of loans and then maybe do like for me i had work study like i worked 20 hours a week in college in addition to having oh, okay so so the way that it would work is once again going with the hundred you know the thirty thousand a year it's like i guess just restating what you said so the parents are going to take on 10 grand a year the kid's going to take on a 20 grand loan kind of thing yeah, the kid. The, well, again, the kids. It may have a forty grand line or fifty grand line. I don't know. I don't know what's considered like an acceptable level of debt from the university's perspective that they're willing that they're going to pass on to the kids to say, well, you're responsible for this in terms of loans. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, sometimes what'll happen. Like for me, I think I had closer to like was expected to have a twenty grand loan, but my dad was having financial troubles at the time, and he's just like, listen, either you know you're going to have to drop out of the University of Chicago and you're going to have to go to the University of Georgia, which isn't remotely close to being as good of a school. And, uh, or you can take out another loan, you know, because, but I, he's like, I can't, I can't afford to pay this. And I just took out this loan. I was like, there's no way I'm dropping out of the University of Chicago. Forget it. So hmm. I mean, I'll, I'll I take suppose it. another approach you could do is you could just go like, does it, I mean, when, when you're applying for jobs, does it matter what one you went to? 
Is well, it, it's kind of it like this. It's, it's like, I think that it's sort of like a pre-filter, right? If you walk in and you say you, you went to Harvard or Stanford or something, this one's immediately going to give you the benefit of the doubt, right? They're going to assume, wow, this person is really bright, right? It's just a way of signaling. Like, I don't, I, if someone says they have a PhD from MIT in physics, what are you going to think? Right. You think that person <laughs> right. has demonstrated to some level that they're really, really bright and they're able to get stuff done. And if somebody comes out and says, oh, I dropped out of community college, what are you going to think? I think probably doesn't they don't have their crap together. They probably yeah. aren't that bright that they're probably not able to uh, get to class. And, and, and people just don't aren't serious. They're just not you wouldn't want to depend on them. Now, obviously, it's just a signal, right? It, it, it may not be true. It may be depend on the context. It may be they had family issues. They may have had financial issues. They may have who knows. But um, you just don't know. But it's if you walk in the door and say, hey, I went to Princeton right? Doors open. People take you seriously. They're going to give you opportunities. If you went to Western Kentucky State, you know, agricultural school, well, you better live in Western Kentucky and know somebody who's in agriculture. Otherwise, no one's going to look at that and say, well, you know. But that said, you can be in computing, like in our sort of neck of the world, neck of the woods, where we, where we write software and do all this stuff. I mean, you can go out and demonstrate, hey, I wrote this open source project, or I launched this startup, or I did this stuff. And people go, oh, wow, this guy's really, really bright, in which case they don't care what school you went to. Right. But that's just a very small part of the world where you can demonstrate um, that you have the ability, that you're smart and are creative and ability to get stuff done and make things happen. I think there's not a lot of jobs in the world that are like software development and web design and this sort of related sort of uh, uh, occupations, I guess, that where people can do that. That's just my well. Yeah, no, that's good. And I think that's that's an interesting discussion. Um, for anyone who wants to read the article that I didn't read, um, <laughs> it's it's on the Washington Post and it's called Some Say Bypassing a Higher Education is Smarter Than Paying for a Degree. Yeah, so if yeah, you yeah like, I, like I would read it and go, yeah, man, this is total crap that has charged this much. And I, I look back at college and I think, you know what? I went to a top school, but I'm try- I was just thinking about the day. It's like, what do I really remember about my math degree? Do I remember anything about functional analysis or algebraic topology or complex analysis? No. Even stuff outside of, you know, like, what do I remember my classes in genetics or my classes in sociology or Western civilization? I, I just little tidbits. Not much. Well, I you mean, remember enough to, uh, to drop a lot of big words. Exactly. Yeah. Right. I mean, in a sense, it's like, but what I do know, I mean, what it did help me do is help me probably, it probably refined my ability to think critically and to write and solve problems. And it probably gave me confidence that I could do those things. But it also made you made me confident that I had seen that side of the fence, so I wouldn't be necessarily overly impressed if someone says they'd, they'd done it too, right? Whereas if you hadn't been there, you, you're always kind of wondering, wow, maybe I'm not as smart or I don't know as much. When in reality... Well, it was always... Um, the, the thing that always I said, it got me through my career was, um, I guess structural theory you mm-hmm. know the the basic theory the structural theory abstraction all that kind of stuff and um i kind of like uh, learned by osmosis really through uh, through the other people that i work with who had the degrees and then uh through discussion with them was how i learned that stuff over time right. so i do think i mean it's th- this is the thing you kind of need to pick the things that you you need to know what you don't know and and follow it and, and learn it because obviously there's some stuff that's taught in uh, in these degrees that is, is very important, especially if you're doing a you know technology well, uh, career. For example, I had a great quote, which I, I, I think I agree with too, at least in principle, which is that if you want to 
if you want to learn, go to the library. If you want to get laid, go to college. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but if you really want to learn, go just go read a bunch of books. Yeah. Go do some. That's how you learn. I mean, most stuff that I've learned, I, I think that I remember that I understand that I know about is stuff that I've read that I've you know, read a lot of books on that I've actually thought about and worked on. And I don't know. I mean, I only took a couple courses in, in, in computer science in scheme, you know, that what's that book that's, uh, what's the book that everybody talks about? Um, the book on scheme that from MIT, everybody loves, Oh, um, oh, I'm oh, that. Structure and Interpretation of Computer Programs. I'm looking at Oh, yeah, yeah, that book, that book. So I took, of I took, course, makes perfect sense. <laughs> right. So <laughs> I, I took that. You know, I took a course on that. I don't even remember what I remember. I don't even remember. All I remember is the project. The 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 project that I wrote into the first quarter was a. I spent two weeks writing an adventure game, like a text-based adventure game in Scheme. <laughs> I mean, uh, I can't believe we just spent the last twenty minutes discussing the fact that I didn't go to college, and you're trying to get the name of a book that's like on the curriculum from me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I figured we always talk about it on Hacker News. Everybody's talking about, oh, it's the best computer science. You have to read this book. And this is right. people's like, well, I want to learn more about computer science. What should they all use a structure? I'm like, really? Scheme? Like, that's really going to be like a practical? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's kind of silly. But one, one thing I would say is so even as a, so even knowing this, even knowing that a lot of the education is, you, you're, a lot of what you're going to learn, you're probably going to forget anyway. It's almost kind of like what people do as sort of like a way station from um, childhood to adulthood, right? I mean, you're 16, 17 years old, you're living at home, you're just a, a dumb kid, but you're not really ready or mature enough to go out to the world and get a real job and do anything. And college is sort of this way where you kind of are living on your own, but you're kind of not. You're kind of responsible for your time, but you're kind of accountable in certain ways. You have a, a lot of built-in support systems. So in a way, it's just sort of this transition place oh oh i had i had the college experience i got a job when i was that age because i kind of wanted to be around that kind of thing Mm -hmm. i actually got a job as a barman (laughs) in a college well there you go right (laughs) so i got i I went through that uh the 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 first half of the quote that you just explained well there you go right i mean you saw it no but uh, one thing i want to say the last thing i want to say about that is that (laughs) so if one of my kids said well i wasn't going to college i'd be like negative you're going (laughs) I don't think I need to go to college. I'm smart enough. I'd be like, no. I As a parent, right? Because parents are risk averse for their kids. You may be willing to take a risk yourself, but you don't want to see your kids. I'd be like, look, you know, get up, go to a good school afterward. Go, go to a, as good a school as you can go to and learn as much as you can and we'll help you pay for it. And then afterwards, you know, then worry about you don't have to, you know, play it safe and get a corporate job, but at least kind of stick that in your pocket as a safety. It's sort of like it's sort of like your membership card. Get your membership card. Well, it kind of also depends on your background. I mean, my you know my parents didn't do anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I guess they were blue collar. So um, so that that's that was my kind of experience. You know. Well, that's a lot of what I think. A lot of stuff is. It's like if your parents don't go to college, then it's you know what's the thinking about college, right? And also, I think it's different in Europe than it is here in the U.S., obviously, right? We're talking to Peter, and he was the same way you were, which is that not everybody went to college and it wasn't a big deal. Yeah, there's, there's, there's loads of people who don't do it in the U.K. The problem is with the U.S., though, is everyone goes to college now, and, and most colleges and most people go to college could really don't even need it. I mean, they're not, they're not re- scholars by any stretch, right? People aren't going to, be, uh, to become erudite. They aren't going to read Plato and Socrates and Rousseau and Kant and Kierkegaard. They're not going to think deep thoughts. They're going to essentially learn a trade. I'm getting a good college, good degree in accounting or in journalism. It's like, oh, okay, you know, you're not a scholar. You're learning a trade in a sense. 
Right. I've often thought that I'd like to go maybe when I'm 50 or 60 and go back and do like a CS degree and PhD. Right. Or you should do something different. Go back and get a degree in like philosophy or something. <laughs> Anthropology. You know, yeah. just go and just think and read and argue because, you know, at that point you don't need a functional pragmatic degree, right? You're just going but to think I, about I'd interesting just be things. doing it because I was interested in it, you know? Yeah, or whatever, if you're just interested in doing it. Like, you know, my, my buddy Phil, who you've met, who's, um, he, he's always talking about going back and getting a degree in, like, anthropology or evolution or biology or, like, his things that he would just study if he had no, nothing else to do. Um, I don't know, but let me show, let me show this, though. I mean, from the perspective, from when you were in high school – and you were thinking about college or not? I mean, what were your, what was your thought process on it? I mean, were you not concerned about it, or was it just sort of like this remote thing that not most people, that you and most of your friends didn't do, so you didn't really think about it, or what? Well, it was like it was just completely foreign from my dad's side of my family. It was just completely foreign to me. And then also the other thing is, I mean, I really, really hated school. I just hated it. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to get out of it as soon as possible. I had. I had job openings right from the time I was like 15, the capability of, of getting jobs with, with various different members of my family. So um, that was the route that I took. And as you know, as, as we've said in an earlier podcast, it was only because I stumbled across computers that I found that I was interested in them. And then I basically BSed my way into uh, a job as a tech support engineer for Apple, like mm-hmm. when I was 19. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was pretty much the beginning of, of me and computers, you know? Right. So, right. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. So I, I think it's, it's just, it's just an example. I mean, in college, it's just, it's just sort of like a way station. It's just like a rite of passage in, in the U S it doesn't really, I don't think it's about being, I think most people coming to college are really not that educated. And they, most of them people don't, most people don't know that much. And the people who do study and go to good colleges still within three or four years, because of the way we learn, we forget it all anyway, or most of it. So it's interesting because I, I don't know what I do with my kids, right? You know, like if I had kids and, and I had that decision, I'm not sure what I'd do. It's, I sort of feel like in between a rock and a hard place because I know how good it is to, to not do it. And I, I can see the advantages there. And I also know the advantages the other way around. I just don't even, I think I'd essentially try and talk them into it, but if they really didn't want to, yeah, um, you wouldn't the force choice. Yeah. I wouldn't force my kids to go. I'd say if they didn't want to go, I'd say, well, take a year off you know, work, you know, do something else. And then we'll talk about it again in a year. That's, that's what, a good idea. Yeah. That's, you, that's good. You can do that. Can't you? You can sure. totally do a year off. Like sure. A, what, my, what's that uh, called? My, uh, gap year. what's that? Is it called a gap year? I don't know what they call it. I think they just defer a year. Like you get accepted. Sometimes you just defer a year. To look I, see. I remember my roommate, my freshman year, um, Dave Rogan, he, uh, he took a year off and was, lived on a kibbutz. For a year in it, and, oh, nice. right? and uh, it was funny because um, the first day I met him, we were just unloading, unpacking our stuff in our dorm room, and then we went decided to go out and grab a lunch, and we just started talking. And uh, he said he took a year off and lived like a kibbutz, and I'm like, wow, what's a kibbutz? He's like, oy vey, this is going to be a long year. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I, I was even considering doing that. Yeah. Oh, doing a, living on a kibbutz. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Um, I, I think he enjoyed the experience. I, I think it's probably good. Opportun- taking time off before school is really not a bad idea because you can um, really you, you get a little older and you get a little closer to understanding what it is that you might really want to do, right? right? I remember my 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 um, because otherwise you go to college and you're immediately just taking classes. You're like, well, pick a major after your two. Like, well, I don't know, right? I'll study French history, I guess, or I'll study 
history. Uh, you know, you just I'll study some random thing. Some people know, right? I mean, I knew I wanted to do math, physics, that kind of stuff. But like my, but then what happens is you get out of college, and then you're like, you got to get a job to pay back the loan, right? Mm-hmm. You can't screw around, so you can't experiment. You can't say go. Then you can't go live on a kibbutz, right? Because the government yeah, wants you're, the money. You're not going to get a job that pays you where you're just working on algebra. Because then you're on, yeah. Because then you're on, then you're stressed out because you have these loans cut that you have to pay off. So if you wanted to take a couple years and travel around, or let's say, hey, I want to start a band and I want to get into music, I'm like, well, that's going to be tough. You you know, if you pay for, on top of everything else, you owe five hundred dollars or more a month in student loans. It's really tough. Mm-hmm. So that was the luxury I had to be able to start a band and exactly. take around. That's right. That's exactly. That's right. You got to do a lot more interesting thing uh, than, and you got to learn a more interesting skill and do something that was, I don't know, much more adventurous than what most people do when they go in college and they just, you know, go to class, go to classes and go to fraternity parties and go watch football games and screw around and you know whatever. But you know, my my younger brother Jeff, he he dropped out of school. Um, when he was at the end of his 10th grade year, he was, he was kind of a real wild, wild ass. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he was lucky that he didn't go to, uh, go to the Marine Corps because if he, because he dropped out of high school and went to the Marine Corps and it was lucky they went to the Marine Corps. If he didn't go to the Marine Corps, it was pretty close. He was getting really close to going to jail. <laughs> That's kind right. of how wild he was. And it's like, he, he was almost like part of a gang. He and his buddies were like, almost like this sort of pseudo gang and like almost all of them went and joined the Marine Corps. So they just kind of got acquired by a larger gang known as the Marine Corps. Right. <laughs> and, but he's like, you know, because in the Marine Corps, you go for four years. Unlike the Army, which you can just do like two years. So for four years, from the time when he was 16 to like he's 20, you know, he's in the Marine Corps. And that is hard life. And he's like, you know, he spent two years or 18 months or two years from like stationed down in Panama. And he said, basically, they, they spent their whole time talking about they couldn't wait to get out and go to college. Like it really focused them like, all right, this is crap. You know, this life sucks. We're like grunts in some can't you just country. Can't you just like leave? I mean, or, or is it? <laughs> no, <being> you, <laughs> no, you can't leave. When you sign up for the military, you cannot leave. I mean, that's a contract. You know, you can go to jail. For okay, it. what happens if you did? You, you go, go to jail. jail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, three in jail. Wow. Yeah. That's a bad commit. That's a bad piece of paper to sign right there. Yeah, well, some people sign it because, well, up until before we started getting on all these wars, you know, it seemed, the idea of war seemed kind of remote, and it was more just kind of like, oh, you know, you go, and it's kind of hard, but it's kind of an adventure, and you see it as this sort of, I don't know, this challenge or something, and that's the way they kind of sell it. Um, but obviously, then war starts, and then you can go and get killed or get your legs blown off at some foreign land, and it's like, wow, that was probably not a good idea. I think it's good for, like, knocking boundaries into people, especially people who are, like, pretty unruly. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like you're describing your brother there. Yeah, but uh, I mean, yeah, yeah no. That, I but can't, when you think but, of, but yeah, but if you get killed and you know, no, in a war in Iraq, then that's not because. Did you get? To, did you see oh, um, the hurt locker? Well, one thing I was going to say is, you know, so Jeff is now finishing up his second tour in um, in Afghanistan. He's just coming back. Well, he he he's the he's the the guy who's a got the brother, yeah. the hero um, status, right? Yeah, he got a he got this commendation thing award i can't remember what it was for uh you know saving his kid's life flying through the mountains and and through you know almost no visibility when all these other black hawk pilots couldn't he flew his black hawk through the mountains and saved his kid's life and uh i was talking about it you know because it got written up in maxim magazine like a few, a few months after that and uh, what ended up happening is a couple of the i think a couple of the uh, people who were interviewed had said some things that their commander didn't like and got in a lot of trouble actually got Taking a flight, he didn't. He wasn't interviewed personally on the on, on the thing because they were just kind of interviewing a lot of the pilots. They just happened to be there when it happened, so they mentioned what my brother had done. Did you see the hurt locker, hurt locker yet? Uh, no. That's something that you can get instantly on Netflix. Right. 
And that won like a, that won a bunch of awards like last year or the, something like that, right? The, the Oscar, yeah. You should definitely get that. It's really, really worth watching. Cool. So let's get on tech, man. We've been kind of dancing around <laughs> and doing those other things. So um, I'm going to get right into something. So one thing that I'm doing for App Ignite when I'm generating um, – oh, for any new listeners, App Ignite is my uh, sort of side project. And it's a web application that will allow people to generate web applications without having to write code. Yeah. Um, and if that sounds interesting at all to you, go to appignite.com and sign up for the beta, uh, beta list. And at some point, I will – Open up for beta. <laughs> okay, so anyway, um, the thing with um, is, I'm, is I want to do the pretty URLs. So rather than you know, you know, blah.php question mark variable equals parameter name and you know that whole thing, and you get this long query string, which just is a nightmare to read. You want it to be uh, you want the pretty URLs, which is like you know project forward slash um, you know an ID of the project forward slash task forward slash the ID for the task that kind of thing, mm-hmm. and the pattern used to sort of solve that oftentimes is what they call a front controller. And you actually sent me a little bit of code showing me how you had done that, which I thought you had a, a nice little elegant solution. And I appreciate that uh, little code snippet because that was that was cool. Um, so the question I have about that is when you're doing this, so let's say you have additional parameters. And particularly what I'm thinking about is like, let's say that you have a pretty URL for a form. Like you're editing some, you're editing some um, record. Okay. Yeah. Well, one thing you want to be able to pass to that form is also like a redirect URL. So after you submit it, well, what page do you go to? Right. Um. Because you're not always going to go back to the same place because you can sometimes come to that form. Or you, can, you can reach that form from other, other pages. It's not always the same page. Just, just, just to stop you there, uh, typically what happens is you have the referrer mm-hmm. available to you in the um, uh, underscore server mm-hmm. variable, the global variable. Mm-hmm. So what you, you, you don't actually need to send through a parameter. You just uh, redirect to the referrer. Now... Does that work fine for um, so if you if you fail if you submit it and then it fails I guess you could just save that in invisible so if you go through you get the form and then you submit it and it fails validation and it goes back is there for still going to be the previous page not the current page well actually what the, the refer is one way but actually I do it a slightly different way okay what what I do is uh, every user who comes to any one of the projects that I work on gets a session which is like a typical thing like sure. a, a PHP session. So what I'll because I'm going through a front controller and I have all of the parameters that show me how to get to my target action and target to do whatever I need to do. Um, I will always store it in a variable called last action. Okay. So the session will always contain last action, and I can always redirect back to that, and I know that it'll it'll have all of the parameters required. Now, does that get screwed up if you like if you hit the back button a couple times and forward? I mean, does that screw that kind of thing? No, up? It, no, it, it it doesn't, and the reason why. Is because you, when you when you do a redirect, um, it just kind of sorts it out. It makes it so that when you click the what what you do have to do is you have to make sure that that um, through I guess in in the logic you have to make sure that a recursive event doesn't happen. Right. So for, so for example, what to to stop that? What I do is on any form that is submitted when when they when they click the submit button. I, I will always basically name it um, do underscore something. So like do save, do submit, do whatever. Okay. And so therefore I will only process a form. Like I'll, I'll never do the redirect unless it's got the do underscore aspect with it. See what I'm saying? 
So, so that way you won't get into a, a recursive loop. Mm, trying to think if I understand exactly what you're talking about. Okay, okay. so, so when, when I click, uh, when I click, um, when a user clicks do submit, it goes back to the front controller. Okay. The front, there's, there's an error and then it does a redirect. Okay. But it, it makes sure that, um, that that flag is, oh God, I'm not explaining it very well. You know what? I, I, I can't explain it off the top of my head. I'm going to have to just show you the code. Sure. And, and you can't do that on the yeah. broadcast. But basically it's easy to get into a recursive situation unless you keep track of the fact that it was a form that was submitted on the redirect. Right. Because what I've always done, and I always knew that this might not be the best way to do it, is that I always would pass a redirect URL when I would go to a form. Right. And I would just save that in a hidden, um, I think I'd save it like a hidden variable so that when you would come back through in the post, you'd have it and you'd know where to redirect to. But I, I, I always felt there's probably a slicker way to do it, but it's just one of those things. Like there's always some things that you attack and you find a really slick way to do things and there's other things you're like, oh, well, this works. <laughs> It's one of those things that I was like, okay, this time I want to do it the best way. So I think the refer might work. I mean, do you do you even need to do it the way you're talking about if you use a refer? Well, because the thing the the problem with the referrer is it doesn't trap Ajax stuff. So if you if you pass everything through your front controller, including the Ajax stuff, then you have a very kind of accurate record of what's happened and where you are in in any step process. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So um. So, so what was, I mean, it, is that basically what, what your question was about? Yeah, that? yeah, yeah. So that, I mean, that was, that was, that was pretty much it. I mean, that's really the only other variable that you need to send through. And it's kind of a big, usually your, your redirect URL parameter is usually kind of ugly. Yeah, right? exactly. And you like, yeah. you, it look, you look like one of those amazon.com URLs, just like these ridiculously long, ugly, you know, I, I want to make them nice and tight and clean and simple. So why do you think they do that? Uh, I just think it's they've done it. It's because that was the way it was done a long time, and probably changing it's probably, you know, big headache. I think well, I, I've got a kind of uh, sneak suspicion that that they like have they log an ID for every action, uh-huh. like an absolutely unique unique ID. It's like a like a UUID or something like sure. that. Good, and that action will somehow be able to get translated back into everything that the user did in that one click. Hmm. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, you know, I've never examined their URLs that closely. I always know when I want to paste one into an email, it's like you know, three lines long. You're like, God, why is, the, why is this so annoyingly long? But that makes sense. I'd have to take a look and see if that's, that might be right. Okay, well, I've got one for you. Okay. Uh, Google Instant. Okay. Have you used it yet? Yeah, it was weird. It was like I was, this, I don't know, this was like Monday or Tuesday or when this was, but I was starting to, you know, I was into Google and all of a sudden my page is refreshing. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? This is cool. And uh, yeah, that's was pretty slick. I mean, it just speeds up the whole process. Now, do you think it speeds up the process? Because there's, a, there's um, a, a big old uh, blog post basically saying Google Instant is anything but a time saver. Why? Um, uh, Did you read that one point. too? No. Or not read that one? <laughs> Great. Okay. We need a producer to help you, <laughs> you uh, get through these. Um I, I, you know, obviously I can't argue about points that I don't know what the points are, but um, all I can say is just my initial reaction to using it seemed like it was pretty quick. I think they're saying that uh, basically it, it, it could have a, like an, an addictive quality <laughs> and you'll spend up more time using it. Oh, so it's not that it isn't faster, it's just that it creates something, it creates a distraction. It becomes right. a distraction in and of itself. 
Yeah. I, yeah, I guess. But, you know, the entire Internet's in a distra- it's such a huge distraction. You know, I don't know. Between Twitter and Facebook and uh, and uh, watching your analytics and Google and your RSS feeds and uh, people pinging you on Skype and Google Talk. I mean, I don't know how anyone gets anything done. It's, I'm, it's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, I try to, like, turn everything up. That's one of the reasons why I don't do Twitter because it's, like, one more thing that I would have to spend time thinking about. And I don't do Facebook either, even though I feel bad about that because I have a lot of friends and family who are on it and I'm just, like, a non-participant. But um, the only way I can get work done is if I just kind of shut everything down. I find it kind of weird. Like, it, it's a weird experience the way that it predicts what you're, you know, it kind of makes a prediction about where you're going. Right. With the term. It's quite, it's quite strange, just and the, just the general user experience of it's quite strange. Um, I'm definitely not used to it yet, and I keep on hitting the return button, huh. um, even even though you don't need to. That's cool. Now, did some guy build like a a YouTube instant or something like that? <laughs> well, yeah, I've got. I, I actually had uh, brought that up that that um, it was interesting because he was basically immediately offered a job um, by YouTube. <laughs> Right. For doing that, which is kind of interesting. So then there was a, a bunch of articles went around, you know, looking for a job, just make something cool. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's again, I mean, it's like if, if you can make really cool stuff on the web, nobody, like nobody cares about your education really. Yeah. Because, <laughs> right? because education is kind of indirect, right? You're not solving the exact problem. You just get a general sense that somebody has studied a lot of stuff and gotten some grades or whatever. But if you just go and build the exact you build something that's really powerful and it's and it's very much um in the sort of area that companies who might be hiring you are in you know that's that's really a strong selling point that's why working on these high profile like open source projects are can be a great way to to build a name for yourself i think if i was um if I was young and starting out and I was in college or even high school or just out of college and I was like, well, I need to make a name for myself. I think what I would do is I would try and um, work on some open source projects and I'd also try and start my own, right? Like actually build mm-hmm. some, like make, create some of my own side projects, take the time to finish them up and document them, try and build some cool stuff and put them up there. And then I'd also try and be contributor to some larger ones. And I think that's a, that's a really good way to uh, build sort of your credibility, your street cred, your nerd cred, right? Mm. Um, you know what's kind of interesting? I was listening to a, an article with um, – not I was listening to a podcast interview with Zed Shaw on, I guess, the code log. Yeah. And um, – he was. He made a comment, which is something that I had always thought about. I don't know if I'd actually. I don't think I actually ever voiced this opinion, but I always thought it about it. So he, it was kind of funny when he said it, which was that a lot of these, um, a lot of these sort of technology communities are sort of social um, Ponzi schemes. <laughs> so like you know everybody like if you go to some new technology. Right. Let's say it's um, one of these uh, NoSQL databases or like how Ruby on right. Rails was or Python or iPhone about whatever. So you get in early and you develop something early, you make a name for yourself early, then or you become one of the persons who cr- one of the people who create one of these technology everybody works on. It becomes like a Ponzi scheme. So like the more people work on it, the big the bigger deal you are. Right. You want people working on stuff that you created. But you get yeah, it. But yeah, you got no, to get in early. You got to. I get, get it. Early. I get it. But but it's not like if you get in late that you make a big loss. No, but you just could. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I think you kind. I think it depends, right? I mean, if you get in late, then what happens is you're just you're just one insignificant contributor, and nobody really cares that much. 
right? I mean, you could you could buy you, let's say someone comes in and becomes a contributor on on some big open source project, right? That's been around for five or ten years, right? Now that might not that, that would probably look okay in your resume, just to say that you've been contributing to um, say the Python or something, you know, or the Rails, right? You know that would look that would look probably good to employers. Like, oh wow, you're contributing. That's cool, but that's about all it's going to amount to because you're going to spend a number of, a number of hours. Now, the people get in early and become the core team or or the name on it, right? Like John Resig and, and jQuery or you know Hanemeyer Hansen and Rails or whatever, right? You're the guy who started it. The, the more people come into it, then the the sort of like the bigger deal you are. Well, wh- what do you think about the guy who basically was fired from Dig? for um, making the decision to switch to Cassandra. He was fired? Yeah. No. Because you, know, you, know, you know there was a whole bunch of uh, there was a whole bunch of stuff going down about Dig and when they moved over to version 4. <sighs> I, forgot the, I forgot the name of the guy, but basically he, he and I think Kevin Rose as, as well, really championed the move to go to Cassandra. Right. And essentially it ended up that there was, there was such a shitstorm I think they just had to fire someone and they basically said, right, that guy's going. And he's, he, he was the head of... Um, Basically, the, the head architect. Because of Cassandra. So what happened with Cassandra? I mean, it did just slow. Because I know, okay, I saw, I, I listened to a, an episode of Twit, I think, where Kevin Rose was on. This yeah. is maybe three or four weeks ago. And then they had just fired, not fired, or Jay Adelson. He, he used to be the chairman of, I mean, the CEO of Dig, right? Jay Adelson? Is uh, right, yeah. And uh, he, I don't know if he was removed or, or was fired or, by the, or whatever it was, but uh, Kevin Rose was taking a spot. But then Kevin Rose, I guess, was just interim because he's being replaced by somebody else. And this is all along those that same time. So I wonder, because of version 4, like they've been trying to roll. Like they did get a lot of features out for a long time because they couldn't scale. But then I guess when they did get out, it just took forever. Was this all because it was all a part of the integration with the transition to Cassandra? Is that what this is all about? Yeah. Or is that just one it's, piece of it? I think, I think his name's John John Quinn. Okay. Um, let me just see. I'm just I'm just uh, searching while you're talking. Mm. So should I fill the dead air? Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe maybe if he had mo- they'd used MongoDB and Cassandra, he wouldn't have been fired. But I, I, it's really weird that um, I, I don't even know if that's that's the, the name of the guy. But but what seems strange to me is that it, it almost chills me to the bone to think that essentially as the CTO of the company. If you choose a technology that looks extremely promising and has huge amounts of benefits on paper, that you could then end up in a situation where you were fired, just doesn't seem. Well, yeah, the buck has to stop somewhere. Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess. I guess. But I mean, I mean, God, like we as coders, we make mistakes all the freaking time. I well, mean, every every coder does. Okay, yeah, I'll just take the other side of that. Yeah, I agree with that. Right, we make mistakes all the time. So, but- so do you, and you, why would you? Why do you get fired just for making a big? You know, a big a mistake. Big mistake. <laughs> yeah. Well, what would you get fired for? Making what would you do? I mean, you. Get you fired I'll for- tell you what you get fired for. You get fired for not giving a crap about the company, coming to work really late, sabotaging the company, and all that kind of stuff. But if you're really passionate about the company and you really want it to work, and you make a mistake, then you should get a chance to fix it. Well, I okay. You know, obviously, it all depends on the how how big the mistake was and and how detrimental it was and all these kinds of things. But yeah, you're gonna fire somebody if they're not trying or you're firing somebody if they're sabotaging the company, obviously, right? Or if they just don't come to work anymore. <laughs> right? You know, yeah. You're fired, right? Um 
Oh, you don't have to fire them. I guess you just stop sending them the, the paycheck, right? You don't have to fire them if they don't come to work anymore. It's like, <laughs> but, uh, it, but that, those, those are the kind of right <laughs> reasons to fire someone. No, 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 no. If, if, somebody, if somebody just royally screws something up, they're going to get fired. I mean, that's how, I, I mean, you know, I don't know if it's maybe an American way of looking at it versus sort of a European look at, way of looking at it. But in America, you screw up and, it, and it's your primary responsibility, you're gone, buddy. I mean, that's how it works. So it's like, don't screw up. I mean, that's why in big companies, really, they, play, they try and play it really safe. You know, they, there's a saying like, no one ever got fired. No one ever got fired for, for hiring, buying in IBM. Hiring IBM, right? Right. Because yeah. it's just, and that's why, you know, just an aside, it's why small companies have a very difficult time penetrating enterprises as customers. Because if they choose you and you screw it up, it's their ass. Right. Whereas if they go with a big name, top tier firm, even if it costs four times as much as half as good, you know, it would be hard to argue. Well, like, well, geez, why did you go with, you know, IBM or Goldman Sachs or something? You know, if I mean, you know, as a top tier firm, you'd be like, look, man, we pick the best of the best, you know. But I, okay. for, for me, this this story is irritating. Like, I absolutely hate the idea of this. Like, basically, I'm just reading on Tech TechCrunch here. Quinn was the main champion of moving over to Cassandra, say our sources. Now the site's taking a huge, a huge hit, at least on the short term, because of that decision and or how it was implemented and how Quinn is... And because of that decision and how it was implemented, now Quinn is paying for it with his job. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I agree with that. If you screw it up, if, you, if, if it's your responsibility, like you're the expert, right? Well, let's say you go in, right? Let's go, you go in the hospital for an operation. He tries really hard, but he, you know, he screws something up, really damages you internally. Should he be get, lose his job or, or be penalized for that or no? Or should he get a chance to fix it up and no problem? No. Okay, but it's actually, look, if you're, if you're working with something like Cassandra on a smaller scale and you're seeing huge benefits, right? And no one in the world has ever scaled Cassandra to the level of the usage of something like Dig. How could you possibly know? Like, how could you possibly know that it was going to be a bad, a bad decision? Well, what right. I think what you'd have to do is you'd probably – look, I mean, obviously, this is the kind of thing that there's probably a very deep and interesting story to find out exactly what happened. And on a lot of our opinions might change if we had some of this information. <laughs> you, you know, both of our opinions might change depending on the details. Right. But I would say this. It's like if you're transitioning your company that has a huge production um, – deployment and you know you, and you're, th you're thinking about changing the underlying infrastructure then you're going to have to find a way it's your, it's your it'd be either relying on your expertise and judgment to find a way to transition to it so that if it doesn't work at some point it doesn't kill the company doesn't take a big hit right so you have to have a way of saying okay we need to come up with a strategy where we're going to try transitioning some of what we're doing to Cassandra maybe it's in parallel to us maybe certain parts of the country just work off this other thing or I mean just have a way they didn't have a rollback I mean, that's, that's everyone, like, to me, that's nuts. There, w there was no rollback. Well, that's what you get fired for, right? Well, then, then it's Kevin Rose who should be fired. Well, I mean... Because well, that's, that's, that's like a, a basic CEO, I mean, that's just... Jay the, Adelson, the, right? He was a CEO at the time. Probably. Yeah, so I mean, that's just maybe a that's basic Maybe that's why he was thing. fired. Maybe he fired both of them. Maybe it was like, because you figure, okay, who gets fired for this? The, 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 maybe it was the, um, and again, we're just speculating with not a whole lot of information here, but maybe it was the VP of engineering. He's the guy coming to the, um, the CEO and say, hey, look, you know, this is what we want to do. We moved to Cassandra. We've done a lot of research. We've tried this. This is the way to do it. We really think it's rolled us out. And... And along with the CEO, they strategize and, and, and probably have dozens of meetings and say, all right, this is what we're going to do. And at the end, it screwed everything up. So guess what? They both get fired. Okay, so what, what about this? 
you know, if you want proof that Cassandra is a useful database system, um, Twitter uses Cassandra and Facebook uses Cassandra. So what, I mean, why, why wouldn't that make you feel confident that it was good to switch to it? Well, look, I mean, it, 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 I mean, okay. First of all, everybody's use case is going to be different, right? Their data structure is going to be different, the way it's used. I mean, so, right? I mean, you know, things can be large deployments, but they can just be used differently. Um, do they kind of their hardware, the way their hard, the kind of hardware they have access to? Who knows? Um, and even the nature of sort of like the, the, the type of data they're storing. Now, just because, many, just because those are, those are just anecdotes, right? Just, oh, well, so-and-so is using it. Anecdotal. That's just anecdotal. It's not hard evidence. And what they have to do is they, but is this what we talked about, which is that they have to come up with a strategy to say, okay, look, we, we've looked at the anecdotes, and then we've taken and we've done our own testing on this stuff. It looks promising. You still have to come up with a way of, 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 of transitioning to technology such that if it fails, that before it's proven itself, that it doesn't kill the company. Okay, how many guys do you think were working for John Quinn oh. in implementing this solution? You know, I don't have a lot of experience in larger companies. I mean, I there's 20, like 10. 10 yeah, let's, say, let's say 20 to 10, right? How long do you think it took for this transition to take place? Probably a while. Probably worked on it for a year or more. Yeah, knowing, okay. Knowing so you got, companies. So you've got 10 to 20 guys, right, working on this, this transition every You don't think that that those 20 people, like, wouldn't they bring up some fears or say that it's not... I mean, it, it's like... I don't know. This I just... I don't buy this. Well, somebody's got to take the fall, dude. Somebody's responsibility. It can't be nobody's responsibility. I mean, it's like... You have a sports team. If they have a bad season, guess what? Coach is fired. Goodbye. That guy's never going to get a job in his life. I mean, he's, he's on TechCrunch, right? Oh, <laughs> come on. Yeah, you think he's going to get another absolutely. job? And I'm no. sure he's worth a ton of money already. I'm sure he has stock options, and I'm sure he's worth a fair chunk of change, and I'm sure he can go start a startup. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know what? I mean, Silicon Valley has a huge, um, a long history of giving people second, third, and fourth chances, entrepreneurs who fail, you know, because they learn from it. And if it's a technologist, say, look, you know, you were the VP of engineering for DIG and, you know, you probably knows a ton of stuff. And there was probably, there was one, you know, there was probably one strategy. It was a poorly thought out strategy or strategy that just didn't um, evaluate the risk correctly and, you know, get fired for it. But I'm sure plenty of people say, you know what? Yeah, that was a mistake. And I'm sure you learned from it, but you know, he would be a key guy to start next thing up. He'll be, he'll be, don't so worry about him. Point, he's going to be making a lot more money okay, than you are. Listen, he's going to be making this. a lot more money than you or I in the next five years. So I wouldn't cry for him. My point is this. If some other company is going to look at him that way, right. And say, okay, you, you've, you know, you've got a lot of experience, you know, a lot about dig, you know, a lot about the insider dig. You made this one strategic uh, error, so you're worth a lot. Why don't Dig make that same decision? Because well, they're, make- they're the people. They're the people who can benefit most from keeping him on. Well, <laughs> uh, you know, no, because sometimes it's like when there's a big failure. I think. I think first of all, the. I think the way it works is I think it's part of sociology or human psychology. This, or group this is just society. It's just yeah, well, it's just society, and it's a whole bunch of people like standing around a fireplace, beating their chest, going, "That guy's got to go." It's just like, uh, you know, I, look, I, I, to some degree, I understand. I appreciate what you're saying, right? That there has to be a fall guy. Does there always have to be a fall guy? Is it stupid to have a fall for somebody to take blame when there were multiple people in it? I mean, you it's know, the whole company. Well, I, here's a lot of times so you see a lot of like, you know, when you like, well, these sports teams, like you watch these NFL teams and you'll, you'll see a coach get fired after two, after, you know, two or three years as a coach. And it's like, well, is it really his fault or is he just don't have that great of players, you know, but they'll, but the, but because, 
you know, but just it's, sometimes it's just hard to tell. It's it's because you, you you sometimes it's hard to tell. Is it the players? Is it the coach? Is it everything? We'll just take us. We'll just be safe and we'll just fire him for sure. And we'll try and get some new players too. <laughs> but see, the thing is that you know if if the okay everybody's going to be held accountable, right? So the people above them who are going to say, look, you know. What are you guys doing? You failed. The version four didn't roll out. The people who were making that decisions, let's say that was the CEO and, or, and the, the VP of engineering, if they aren't fired, then whose fault was it? It's nobody's fault. You guys are just a bunch of screw ups. Somebody's gonna somebody's gonna have to point the finger at that and make a make a choice because if the chair if the if the board is like, well, we're not going to fire anybody, um, then the investors and everybody else is going to be like, well, what's the deal? You guys are taking you're going to make any hard decisions here. You're not going to get rid of people who who fail because we don't reward failure around here. The the reason why I I've taken this on board and I'm kind of quite upset, kind of irritated by it, is because I've been in a number of uh, corporate companies where I've affected this kind of change, and it's worked out for me. But I really understand you affected this it. What do you mean? I've I've really helped promote change and and move to different technologies like that. Right, mm-hmm. it's worked out for me. I've not I've <laughs> luckily I've not been in this situation. But when I look at this, I think God, I really could have been in that situation. Well, you, ha- you have to look. There has to be an upside. That you 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 can't be hedge hedge you know hedge you win tails you win right hedge hedge you win tails you don't lose. There has right. to be like look if you're going to take a risk and you're there's an upside and you're going to promote it and get a bonus or people are going to you know laud you for being this you know brilliant technologist. Well, it's like if you screw up. You know, there's there's got to be a there's got to be a downside. I mean, that's just how life works. I think. I mean, I think I don't think you could just go around because is is as if there's no if there is no downside. If there's no penalty for failure, then everyone is just going to try all kind of crazy stuff. Well, we'll do this. Oh, well, I won't get fired. I mean, yeah, I don't know who's probably. You know, it's like oh. So, do you think that the that the public exposure of this guy is now going to basically reduce inventiveness across corporations all over the land no because he's basically serving as like the sample head on you know head on the block kind of guy not remotely no it's not gonna (laughs) affect anything it's just it's just i mean like this is just how it always works when things screw up the people in charge um you know take a hit for it and depending on the magnitude of the screw up you know there's going to be some type of repercussion where they're fired or you know or simply just warned and 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 not getting a bonus and you know whatever thrown off you know kind of displaced into a lesser role but yeah i mean and that's one of the reasons that corporations i think become stagnant and they don't they don't innovate is because everybody becomes very risk averse because Mm -hmm. um you know they don't want to get fired and they'd rather just kind and the reason they're in corporations is because they like security they like they look they like keeping a job they get a paycheck they don't have to worry about it they just got to show up to work and do a you know a decent job let me give you a, 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 a like a converse example the guy who works for Apple, who basically spills the biggest secret on the on the face of the planet, mm-hmm. and basically leaves an iPhone in a bar, he's not fired. Out of fired his ass in New York. But he's not fired because Apple understand the value that he brings to the company. He just made that one stupid mistake. Yeah. Well, yeah, like, like every, it's like it's you know every company's different, every situation's different. Everybody make their own choices. You know, depending on how viable it is. I mean, we don't know the details of this. I mean, so we're yeah, just talking sort of in generalities. And uh, yeah. and you know, I'm not saying this guy should have been fired or shouldn't be fired because I don't know the details. I'm just saying that you know, look, people who are in charge of making decisions, if they screw up, they're going to have to pay a price. And if they make a great decision, then they should be, you know, uh, rewarded for it. You know. All right. That's, well. Uh, well, I, I can tell you who did screw up and uh, who don't pay anything is the um, the banks. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's that's <laughs> why. The that's, well, that's that's they call a um, a um, 
oh god i'm blanking on it. it's a moral hazard Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why so many people are so irate because um, because of that, because so many people in the government agencies and the banks and the rating agencies, um, you know, they get bailed out or they, nothing happened. And that's why it's so frustrating, because that's not what happens to the rest of us. Right. right. We don't get bailed out. Um, and the the only thing, the only I think the only argument that makes sense for doing that now, I'm not saying it's this case because I was not for the banks being bailed out. I think it's, I think people, I think we should have taken our knocks early and we should, we should have taken them hard and early and, 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 and into, into 2008 and into 2009. And a lot of these companies should have gone bankrupt and the assets yeah, sold. New just banks. let them go down, let yeah. them fold. But what happens is that you had all these banks fold and, uh, and are being bought by other banks and it's just consolidating, consolidating, which is just increasing the chance that if anyone makes a decision, a bad decision with these banks, then it really does rock the economy. If you have thousands of banks as opposed to hundreds or tens of banks, you're much more diversified and you're much less, um, you're, you're much less, um, open the risk to, is spread basically. Yeah, to uh, systematic risk. So, um, yeah, which is stupid. It's like we keep failing towards cons- consolidation. Which is, a, and that's a big problem with, uh, you know, with the government getting really, with the, the bigger the government gets, and which, which is the fault of both the Democrats and the Republicans, they both do it in their own ways. And the closer governments, sort of, this sort of revolving door between these industries and in the governments, you know, the SEC, and then you're working for the Reserve, and then you're working at Goldman Sachs, and then you're in the Treasury Department, and it's just all the same people, or it's the EPA, and then you're working for the companies, or the FDA, and then you're working for Pfizer, and then you're back in the FDV. You know, it's like every, you know, so nobody pays any hard prices, right? And so, and, and they call it industry capture, where the industries are so influential through money and donations and having people coming back and forth because you know you're worth FDA for a couple of years and then you're going to get pulled into one of these big um, pharmaceutical companies and given a big fat job or you're, you're working for uh, you're on some de- defense committee and next thing you know you're, uh, you're working for Northrop Grumman or Raytheon and you're chairman and you're making bank there. And so we get this industry capture in which case you have the government being largely influenced and directed by all these special interests which are all these large corporations which consolidate everything and do a bunch of things that really aren't to the advantage of people, the population in general, but just to those industries and those few big influential corporations. Okay. Was that so rant this, sufficient? Yeah, no, that was good. This, this, uh, this show is going in some interesting directions. Um, <laughs> so have you got something well, else? Well, got something say, and by the way, the term for this, which is great, which I've mentioned before, is called um, inverted totalitarianism, I think it is, which is that when you have the government largely being influenced and manipulated by corporations and uh it's kind of interesting because people talk well this company's becoming fascist or it's becoming socialist and it's really inverted totalitarianism so look it up in wikipedia i read that an article about that and i just described really what kind of uh, governmental uh, situation we're in and i'm like well that's the best description i've seen of what, of what, of what kind of, of what kind of government we have now how it's evolved inverted totalitarianism that's right that's right i brought that up again about probably 30 shows ago i think but 20 okay have you got uh, any another topic yeah so um i had a couple um he was saying it's a, fun, a kind of short fun one it says there was an article that said the jobs never designed a single project and it was by a guy named Jeff Raskin, who was a guy who championed and really did the Mac. Because the, the mythology is that the Mac was Steve Jobs' baby. Right. Well, according to Jeff Raskin, who was interviewed, I guess this was like in the 80s or 90s. He, apparently, he died, I think, like 2005. 
Mm-hmm. And he said, you know what? He's like, they came up and they tried to do the, you know, the Jeff Raskin was the guy who led the team and they, and uh, Jobs tried to, he spent months trying to kill it. And he had to. Trying to kill what? The Mac. He didn't believe he did. it. He thought it was stupid. The, which Mac? The Macintosh, the very first Macintosh. I thought that, that it, the only thing the company Apple was, was Macs. Are you, you're, you're kidding, right? We're talking. So what? It started. It was the it, Apple IIe, oh, right? It was the Apple. Oh, it was the Apple IIe. It was like when the Apple IIe was the first. That was like the, the kind of console stuff, right? Right. It wasn't. It wasn't oh, yeah, until okay. later, you know, until number. I, I didn't realize that 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 was different to a Mac. I I just thought that basically. Oh no no Mac, no! It was the, the Apple was One, which was like on like a wooden board. <laughs> it was like the whole thing. The Apple II was I think was the first thing that actually looked like a computer. It had like a plastic, like a. I think it was actually. I think I think Apple. II, I think it was Apple Ones. They sold like two hundred fifty. They made two hundred, sold like one hundred fifty of them or something like that. I think I read that recently. And the Apple II and Apple IIe was the thing that became more mass produced kind of a thing. And I, I think I can't remember what exact date, but I think it was like the late seventies, early eighties, and it was like eighty four. I think was when the first Mac came out. Yeah, so I just just to just to clarify, what I knew about those machines, I just thought that the Mac was an evolution of them. I didn't realize I it was considered something very different. Right, right. Okay, so the according to Jeff Raskin, he said that you know he had to go around Steve Jobs back, and he talked to Mike Markla, I think was a chairman at the time, who said who, who they basically worked in another building, and kind of hid it from Jobs. <laughs> And he said he had nothing to do with the design of it. And he's like, you know, Wozniak designed, effectively designed the Apple IIe, and this other group designed the Lisa, which was kind of a precursor in some ways to the um, to the Mac, I think. And then Raskin designed the Mac, and he and his team. And he's like, yeah, he's like this whole mythology that Steve designed all this stuff is just bunk, just not so true. So what what did he do at that time? I don't know. But he's just, I mean, he was just essentially refuting the myth. Because he, he, la- he would laugh when he'd read this stuff about his design, sen- his design aesthetic and how he designed the Macintosh. It's like, it's just, it's just really funny because it really has nothing to do with anything. It's just not true. It was Johnny Ives who did it. Who, who, the, the Macintosh that we love and know. The Mac. The, the latest the, versions? I don't yeah, know. I don't know a lot about Johnny Ives. I mean, I know he's been around for the last few years designing the iPhones and iPods. But how long has he been around designing this stuff? Has he been around ever since, you know, no, he's, he's been around. He came in... Um, when the Mac first started getting, because you know, you know, it always used to be beige, mm-hmm. right? They, they just used to be kind of beige, and then it's. I think in the nineties it started getting funky. Ninety eight was when they came out with the iMac, and they had like tangerine and purple and all that kind. Yeah, of. that was like the the white one with the different colors. God, that was when that. that was oh, that, that was when he came in. Those and looked, then I thought those were the most retarded looking machines I'd ever seen. They're so funny. well, they were very strange, weren't they? they when they first fruity. came out. Like really yeah. fruity, is what they thought. That but the shape, the sh- it's the shape. Like he's he brought those kind of curves, right? And then, th- then when they went to the brushed silver, that was just that was it. Yeah, those are slick. I always went with the titanium it. case for the MacBooks. I mean, you know, and the the iMacs now and stuff. I mean, yeah, it's like they're you look at these new Macs and you look at them compared to Dells and or any off the shelf. You're like, why does everything else look like such garbage compared to these things? I mean, it, it's not even close. Those iMacs are really beautiful. They really are. Very, very I have nice to say, machines. I'm looking at it. I mean, it's beautiful, even with my Dell keyboard. <laughs> right. Oh, God. Oh, I, this is something I wanted to tell the audience. I spent the most painful three hours. Was it last Saturday or Sunday with you mm-hmm. when, when, we, when we were uh, trying to configure Apache? Okay, right. So I had installed, I had installed Apache. And, um, Apache and PHP were already pre-installed, and I installed MySQL. Yeah, right, they they pre-installed the iMac and I installed MySQL, and basically it wasn't working. Right, the configuration it wasn't it wasn't playing everything. and it wasn't working. And I, I had previously said to Jason, "Look, 
just use MAMP. It's going to take one second to install. And he was like, no, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get involved in that. So I basically spent an hour with him, first of all, trying to help him to get the, the, the base version of Apache and stuff working. And uh, after that, I said, look, just try MAMP. Just try it. And he was like, okay. So he downloaded it, clicked install instantly. Within yeah. 10 seconds, it worked. Yeah, no, it's true. Well, the thing is, I just, I didn't want a bunch of parallel versions of stuff. It's like, we already had everything installed. It was like, we must be just, we're just missing one setting. It's like, there's got to be like one setting here that we're missing. And it just seemed like we're five minutes away. It didn't seem like, it, it, I mean, if, if you said, oh, Jason, this is going to take hours, I would have said, well, let's not do it. I figured, I, I kept thinking, oh, we're just like, where's the setting? We just got to look up something on Google. There's going to be one setting. It's like, oh, flip the switch on this setting in, the, in your HTTPD conf file. And then uh, we'll. But the, the other thing about you is, you, you just make things hard. Like, for example, I say to you, okay, click the command key, and you're like, where's the command key? And, of course, you don't have a command key because you refuse to use the Apple keyboard. Right. <laughs> you use your own um, PC keyboard, which is fair enough, but it's just like, it's another Jasonism, I think. That needs to fall under the Jasonism Yeah, category. you know, I mean, there's certain things that I, I cannot give you that, right? I mean, there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of things that are based on personality. I just, I tried to use it, but I was so unproductive in typing on that keyboard that i mean here's the thing right i you know when my when my pc died i couldn't afford a week of just getting to know the mac and not being productive right i was like Mm -hmm. i have to get to work i have to start making progress you know i'm not like i just i got and it was just taking me forever because i had to not only did i have to do i evaluate install tons of different news of all kinds of different applications just to get i had to find an editor i had to find you know ftp clients and subversion clients and yeah, i don't know database client i did find all this crap and install everything and then the keyboard you know it's like i'm trying to do cons- tell people about the that muscle memory thing it was almost like a tick it was weird well you know we were trying to edit the um we were trying to edit the http conf file apache sort of config yeah http.conf yeah Right, and I was using I think it was TextMate to edit it, and I w- I'm so used to using the home and end key to get to the front and end of a line, and instead they scroll to the top and bottom of a document, and my fingers were so used to them I couldn't stop hitting it, and, we, and the thing was literally every single edit. It was it was amazing. It was drawing like, nuts. You were about to you were getting a headache. <laughs> like, the, the muscle memory so locked in that every time you typed a word, you'd click end of line and it would go down to the bottom of the page and you know and, and the http.conf is like i don't know like 500 lines long or something it was like a nightmare it was yeah i was terrible i was that's why i just got so i was like this is and it still does that like in text edit i i went i read some articles on lifehacker lifehacker i mean i actually was searching on google and lifehacker just had the answers to all of these right these issues which was um you know how to remap the keyboard so you can go in and say there's like there's like a file key bindings it's just a dot I don't know, whatever it is on, and you put it in the, um, the library file or something, the library folder, mm-hmm. and you can map keys to certain behavior, like move to end of document, move to end of line, stuff like that. And um, that worked in a lot of programs, but not all. I think I might just need to restart the Mac. Why so? Did you, did you install, you, you showed me, sent me a link that uh, one of the things that Jason wanted to do was to get wildcard uh, subdomains. local domains working, mm-hmm. like wildcard subdomains. Uh, and we, because originally we'd um, looked at using host files, and uh, you can't do that with a host file. So I was wondering, did you get that that local um, DNS? Yeah, it's, setup? it's funny you mentioned that, right? So I found something called um, what's it called? Uh, ty- uh, DNS enabler. It's called DNS enabler. And for Leopard, yeah. and Snow Leopard, and 
Somebody is it free or is it a purchase? No, thing? it's free. Well, first of all, they had Snow Leopard, and I tried to install it, and I realized, I didn't realize it didn't work for Snow Leopard. Right. And you can get a free version of the Snow one that had for Snow Leopard. You have to pay for it. And that's only twenty five bucks. But I was like, well, I mean, I wonder if there's just a way to do this. And I did a search on Google, and sure enough, there's like a series of like seven or eight steps you go through, and and you and you have like you have a local DNS thing that'll run. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, am I going to buy this just to, just to, so I sat with Guyon and we spent like an hour and a half and we went through every, uh, open this file, create this file, create the settings, go into this preference, to change, you know, do this, start buying, you know, do all this stuff, do all these tests. And we got everything working and exactly as stated. And then of course you run this little test on it and it doesn't work. And you're like, great. What a waste of time. I should have paid the 25 bucks for <laughs> DNS. So did, did you pay the 25 bucks? I haven't yet. I just, like, yeah, I just said, all right, let's just screw this for now. I'll come back to it. I just, because now. And it's, it's amazing because, tw- like, how, like, you bill, you bill it 100 bucks an hour, right? So it was you and Guyon working on this for an hour. Well, again, so you know, it looked, 200 it looked bucks like. 200 versus a $25. $25 well, again, it's like you don't know how long it's going to take, right? It look, it look, looking at it, it looked like it was going to take us 50. I mean, if I just follow the directions, it worked. If, if, according, if the directions work as they said, it would, that it would have taken us 15 minutes and been done. Okay, well, right. look, I can tell you, like, rule, rule of thumb, configuring shit. <laughs> configuring shit will always take at least an hour or two hours. I don't care what it is. Yeah, well, I guess that's, that's a new hard just... lesson that I'm learning because I, <laughs> I, I, I've learned it a couple times in this Mac already that, and, I, you know, if obviously if I had done it over, I would just have just bought DNSA worth $25 and been over it because now I have to go back and I have to undo all those things. Right. That's right. I have all that's these right. settings and all these different files, and, and that's going to be a nightmare. So I don't want to install this new thing with all these other settings. They might conflict. So yeah. I've just been like kicked it to the curb for you know a few <laughs> days until I can just. Well, you can just as, as I said, you can just basically pre-create like I don't know twenty-five subdomains in your host file, point them all to one two seven dot zero dot zero dot one. Oh, that's true. That's true. And then then you've got the equivalent of wildcarding. It's just. It's not true wildcarding, but it's very similar. It's fake. Yeah, no, yeah, that's true. So, um, I, I, I have another topic. A couple, I'm another short, short one. I oh, but, but I, I just still want to find out how you're getting on with the Mac. Like, you, have you got, have you fallen in love with it yet, or you still hate it? I'm or? not, an, I'm not, I don't think I'll ever be a fanboy. I'm sorry to. Not, not a fanboy, but just generally, like, do you think you're going to get to a point where it's, it's got a good working routine for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm getting there. I mean, uh, the keyboard stuff, the fact that the home end key still don't work, doesn't work right now, it's just, that's one of my, still one of my biggest irritations. Um, Why don't you just buy, like, a big Mac, a big keyboard, but that's for the Mac, like, you're from some third party Do company. they have home end keys for this? Yeah, of course. I mean, that you doesn't just, even you, look like you, it had, I mean, I have to take a closer look, but yeah. Just, just do it, like, not from Apple, I'm just saying third party keyboards that are for Macs, but that are big. Maybe. I mean, it may have, look, I mean, this may work. I may just need to restart the Mac and these key bindings, these key bindings will, might just start working. I see. I mean, right. We'll see. But that's just been a, that's been a little bit of an irritation. Um, a couple of things that just still drive me nuts is the fact that you, you have to drag the very bottom corner of the window to resize it. Oh, I see. That's just retarded. You know, it's some things <laughs> like that. It's like, come on. Well, what should it be? What, what, what you should be like? able to resize it by just grabbing the side of any window, just like you can on Windows and just like you can with any, like, your, any program you're resizing, like an object, you just grab any side of it and you can resize. Right? Oh, I see. And you're just right. like, so I have to go and reach down in this very little tiny corner and just grab it very precisely and resize it. It's like, it's just it's stupid. <laughs> um, you know, I just think that's poor design. I, I just think making these difficult for your, you know, for people for no reason i mean why why wouldn't it just like have the you could easily have the cursor you could be aware you grab a side it and, and it turns into like a resize thing you'll resize cursor and just resize it but 
whatever. I don't know. I mean, I'm better. I'm not. I'm like I was pulling my hair out because not only were things were things not working very well for me, but I was spending all this time configuring stuff and not being productive, and I was really getting impatient, getting really irritated because I was like, "Damn it! I just need to get some work done. I cannot spend time dorking around with this stuff anymore." It's pissing. But you think you might have a uh, an iPhone contract, right? I have. One looks like it's probably going to go through. It's a really small one. And then, um, is, is I could, I'm glad you asked the question because it's segueing into another topic I want to discuss, um, which is that um, Mark, who a friend of mine who you've met, we did it. He's been mm-hmm. our tech lunches together, and he is the uh, he he and his business partner were the, were the clients I built the iPhone app for before. All right now. That project didn't get funding. They went and they talked to a lot of VCs and other people, and it just didn't didn't make it. And it's just the kind of project that it really needs to be a funded project. And so he actually looks like he might have found someone who wants to have an iPhone uh, app built, a fairly substantial one. And so we were talking about the possibility. I've tried to sell us. I'm like, let's team up and create a consulting company. Let's let's get Taylor because I've talked to Taylor Norris. Uh, for anyone who's new to the show, Taylor Norris is a friend of ours who we've mentioned a number of times in the show who did printfriendly.com, which we discussed a number of shows back. And we affectionately nicknamed him the depressed designer, <laughs> 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 even though he's not actually depressed. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, the guy plays StarCraft all day. I mean, how can he be depressed? He plays StarCraft all day, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, I mean, I, Taylor is always, you know, he, he is, you, you talk to Taylor too quite a bit and he's always like thinking of st- new startup ideas. And I pitch it to him. I say, Hey, why don't we team up you and Mark and I, we're all kind of looking, I mean, I need more consulting work because a few of my contracts came to an end just coincidentally at the same time. So I went from having too much work to like, now I need some more work. And Mark was the same situation. He needs to find a consulting gig. And he's, a, his background is in management consulting and Mark's a really, really bright guy. And he's, you know, the really fancy pedigree with Harvard and Mercer Consulting and all this stuff, but he's having a hard time getting into the, getting some more management consulting going because some of the stuff he was doing was going great. And then the guys he was working with or working for, the sort of senior partners and things are, are look like they're moving in other directions. They're not going to keep doing it anymore. So now he's like trying to figure out what to do. And so I, I pitched him, I said, let's, I said, you know, I can go get some more consulting work on my own, but if we teamed up, the three of us, we could probably get a lot higher margin and get some bigger bigger stuff and work as a team and do maybe try and focus on the mobile stuff because it seems like there's a lot of money in that space and with our background with titanium we can build these projects you know way faster than these firms that are trying to build stuff straight with xcode and coco and of course apple recent they just just recently uh said that they're gonna they're, they're not gonna ban anything anymore yeah, yeah. So that also works an advantage too. So, mm-hmm. and of course, building titanium, you can build Android apps. And I was, it looks like there's a lot of people who want Android stuff building, built. And as well. BlackBerry, Black, not BlackBerry yet, but they're they're moving, they're getting close to that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and of course, with uh, App Ignite, we could use it as a backbone for building any if we want a bit of web application. So, I've, you know, t- Taylor. So what do they say? Well, Mark, Mark was kind of like he, you know, he's unsure. He's looking a lot of directions because he needs something to work like immediately. He's like, I, I need to find something now, either a job or some, a management consulting gig or something. And I, you know, and he kind of stumbled across. He had a meeting with a guy the other day, and he's like, you know, so we talked about today, and I'm like, look, let's let this be our first project. Let's get Taylor on board. We'll become a team, and we'll be much more efficient because what I'm not 
as good at is spending a lot of time finding other gigs, writing up statements of work, you know, doing all the sort of business stuff, the procedural stuff that you need to do to 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 get business in and move things along. Yeah, and, those kind of big projects. Yeah. Yeah, it takes a lot of work to do that and do it well and, and do a lot of the customer engagement stuff. You know, I'd rather you know I can talk strategy and help think about strategy, but other than that, I like just I'll build the technology and mm-hmm. let's get. Um, Taylor and Taylor can work work his magic on the design and user experience stuff, and we'll be way more efficient if the three of us do it. And I think we could be bidding on these contracts that are fifteen, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars contracts. And we can, and because of the, of titanium and because of the efficiency of the three of us working together, we could probably make a lot more return than if we're like individually billing out at some hourly rate. So, okay, I, well, keep, so so they, they sound. You need to get them to listen to this so that they can kind of hear your whole. Well, Mark idea. and I just had this conversation today, and and um, he's he's, he's he, I think he's to- he's totally convinced now. He agrees that this is the, our best bet if we team okay. up. We're we're we're, be- we're better off if we team up. And um, Taylor is already, you know, I think he emailed back or he pinged on Skype. He's like, yeah, he's totally into it. So, but he's so busy playing StarCraft, I need to actually call him. And so, what are you going to call the call the venture? Well, I don't know. I think I think three of us need to get together and have a conference call next couple of days and really just verbally commit to one another and say, all right, let's do this. Because <laughs> right now it's been kind of like, everybody's been like, yeah, I'm in, but we need to just commit to doing it. Because I would like to do that. And the way I, the way I see it is like, you know, I want to keep working on Epic Night, but I need something to fund some time. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And I would like to use Epic Night as something that helps me launch. The reason I built it is I want to rapidly be able to launch a lot of web apps. Right. Well, it's great because you, you, you're using the product. That is the, the perfect scenario. You are literally eating your own dog food. Right, and that would be the web app stuff because a lot of times a lot of these iPhone apps were going to want like like a you know APIs. They want to call into a database or something like that. Well, you know, Apping I can generate all that as well as the front end stuff. And my my back, I love using Titanium because then I can just write everything in JavaScript. And that was really and and now with all the pain we went through the first time building the very first app, which was pretty pretty complex yeah you you won't have that anymore so now we got a huge code base of stuff we've done and lessons we've learned so now it's like you know a bunch of cutting and pasting right you know if you've written the code a few times you're like i you know i've done this five times already <laughs> let me go find the code or i did this so i don't know that's i think we're gonna move so the question is now it was kind of interesting i was kind of because a couple of days ago i was kind of hunting around i was just i was like, taking a look on um craigslist just to see if anybody was if there was much demand for iPhone, iPad, Android apps, and it looks like there is, even on even at Craigslist, well, e- Elance would be the better place to look. Yeah, I might, I might take a look at that. But the thing is, I don't want to get. I'm not going to compete against overseas stuff, right? No, no. Either, e- people, I mean, you can get you can get good contracts on Elance, and there's like just all you do is just select the filter that says contract over 50k. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's, it's it's not just the cheap stuff that they do. Well, I, th- I think I think what you want to do is, you, which is great. Uh, there's a great term uh, phrase that a uh, that a that a guy used. He was talking. I can't. I, I'll try and find a link to it from the show notes. But he was talking about finding consulting gigs or raising your price or whatever. Uh, you're trying to how to raise your hourly price. And he was talking about how he how he found um, how he got his first consulting contract and he said he's used a shock and awe approach which he would just send out 10 responses to these things a day he's probably sent out like 200 before he got one and he was trying to learn like a root rail he was trying to get a rails project and he didn't have any background in it so that i think it was a little harder for him but i think what we'd do is we would probably just try a lot of different things like look on elance look on well that's i'm glad you brought that up because that's um brings me uh to one quick point a post called playing the numbers game just google playing the numbers game 
And it's just basically a, a post that I think we've we've said this many times before, but literally it just is throwing out. You, it's well, it's what you just said. It's basically sending those. You know, the more that you put out there, I guess, it's like uh, increasing your lock surface area, right? Um, the more you put out there, the more chances you have of getting the job. Yeah, you know? and and the way I see, it, like if, and, and I've talked about this before about having co-founders of a company that are complementary, mm-hmm. and it's like if there's the three of us, it'd be the perfect combination, right? Because we're all three entrepreneurs. We've all started our own companies, so we all understand. And we're all how to, how to run a startup. We understand how difficult it is. In a, in a startup consulting business, is kind of the same thing. We all we we all we're all uh, we all know how to do hustle to a certain degree, right? Um, but we each are complementary, right? And so, you know, the thing that I as I as I've mentioned, I think in the re- past episode is about my very first company, Phil and I. You know, we're the two co-founders, but both of us were technical, and so we had to convince ourselves to stop writing code and to do the business stuff, which none of us really wanted to do. And it's so hard to go from doing the business stuff back to coding and do the business stuff. You're either kind of in one mode or the other. But if Mark, for instance, is focusing on getting us contracts and community clients and stuff, then it would just be so much more efficient. So you can do the shock and all, right? It's not like he's going to. It's not like it's going to be me like where I send out three. I'm just like, all right, I got to start writing some code, right? He's going to be, he's just going to be like, okay, you know, let's, I'll try and respond to 10 or 20 of these things today. And, and then he'll sit down with me and we'll, cause he can write some code now too. And we'll write some code together, but I can focus in on it. So they really, with, with the three of us, we really can, I think, do that. And, and we also can do it at a higher level because, you know, Taylor's a really talented UX guy and designer. So you kind of have that, when you have that in-house, you can do the really slick, des, you know, design, which is such a big part of it as well. So, so just looking on Elance now, there's there's three contracts over twenty five thousand for an iPhone. Yeah, and you know I think you know we can you know Taylor can help us put together a really slick website, and we can write some good copy up there. And we've got, at least we've got the you know the app that I built for uh, Mark as is one of our sort of reference apps, and maybe we can mm-hmm. yeah, those other cool. ones, and maybe this other one we can pick up. We can have a couple and. You know, we'll go from there. We'll see. But I think that's the best strategy right now because it's funny. I, I was like, I had five, four or five contracts and I was just having a hard time juggling them. And now it's like, I'm down to like one. <laughs> it's so. funny. I was thinking that that would even be, I mean, I, I haven't kind of decided this in any way whatsoever, but I was thinking if I wanted to earn a little bit of money on the side, not that I need to right now, but if I did, right. um, I, I, could, I would just build iPhone apps and Android apps. Yeah, because it just you know titanium is just a great little tool to do that. Well, titanium is makes it is is, is fun because you're trying JavaScript, right? You just don't get in the mm-hmm. messiness of yeah. all this other stuff. But the one thing I think about using about building iPhone and Android apps and stuff like that is that they're sort of self-contained, right? So it's not like you're coming and working in other people's infrastructure and platform and existing code base. Right, yeah. which is really kind of painful and can be really like it's, it's, it's sometimes it's really hard to understand the sort of um, the range or, of what you're going to be having having to do in the project, right? Because they're, they're coming at you with all this stuff. Like, oh, we wrote this other code and we have these databases and this and that. But with an iPhone app or an Android, it's sort of siloed. It's just this one thing. It doesn't really, you might connect with something in API or whatever, but there's just this one thing. So it means, it's, so it's really built for offsite development. It's self-contained. It's kind of one-off. And, uh, and they're really good for using as a, 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 a portfolio as a portfolio item for showing um showing people what you've done do you think yeah there's there's a tourist smartphone application development um 50 to 100,000 on elance mm-hmm. yeah so I, I would 
I think you should apply for it. <laughs> yeah, well, I think what we should do is, like I said, I think we should we kind of get our act together over the next few days, talk about it, come up with a plan, come up with a name, a website, do all this stuff, and then once we got all that, so that we look we look real, we look substantial, yeah, we, we know, we're, and we can actually deliver on what we're talking about. Then we go in and we do we start applying to a lot of stuff and try and get some contracts. And maybe this very first contract that Mark has kind of stumbled upon will be enough to kind of get us going for the next few weeks. And then yeah. we can leverage that. And uh, yeah, if any of any listeners who know of any iPhone or iPad or Android stuff that needs to be built, let us send me an email because <laughs> that's what we're looking for. Um, I think that uh, that we're we're coming to the end of the episode. Uh, we've done one hour twenty eight, okay. and it'll probably edit down a little bit. But uh, I think uh, it's been a good show. Uh, I just have I have one thing. We 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 talked about this before the show. Our quote of the week. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think. Um, I think Phil told me, I thought this is really funny. It's like, it's not enough that you succeed, but your best friend must also fail. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, really, I, you know, obviously it's just funny more than anything, but I like it. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. <laughs> and, hey, uh, hey, why don't you, um, just before we go, why don't you do the old um, ask people to blog about us or ask people to sign up? All that, yeah. That, all right. That well, spiel. Um, well, first of all, we need to get our uh, mailing list going, right? So yeah, I don't know how many people is on it now. I think we I know, we have enough. So let's try and get that out this week after our week interview, right? Let's okay. try and send one out um, this week. So so we want if you are interested in receiving the texting, I'm being on the texting uh, email list, and which will will forward like links to some stuff we've talked about, maybe a few other interesting things we found, maybe talk a little bit about the shows, any other interesting notes. Then um, that would be then please sign up for the uh, email newsletter and you can do that on our website, right? On our homepage. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we'd appreciate if we could any, uh, any love in the blogosphere or the Twitter sphere or any other sphere. We, uh, we grew, we hit 500 uh, listeners. Our goal at the beginning of the summer is hit 500 downloads within a week. I, I thought we might get a little higher than that, get a little more aggressive and change to 48 hours, which we did make, but we, we, we hit it on our last show. But now what Justin and I would like to do is hit a thousand downloads of our discussion show by the end of the year, if we can do that. It's aggressive. We can do it. It's aggressive, but we need a little help. We need people like, you know, if you got some buddies or friends who, who are into tech or entrepreneurs and like this kind of stuff, uh, you know, help us out. Send a few emails around. Write a blog about us. If you, and if you write a blog post about us, and we will uh, bring you up and uh, thank you on the show. And, um, yeah. Pay it forward. Pay it forward. If you, if you give us good karma, you're going to get good karma. That's right. <laughs> that is. Seriously, I'm telling you, good things are going to happen in your life. And as I mentioned before, if anyone's interested in Epic Night and uh, when I do release the beta, and I'm not giving a date, because I've missed enough dates already, but it's it's soon. I hope go to appignite.com and uh, leave your email address, and I'll I'll give you a beta account as soon as it's ready for testing. And if you want if you want to build a a following on Twitter, a very relevant following, just go to plugio.com and have a look at the um, the friend finder video and uh, sign up to Plugio, and that will that tool will really help you. Right, and I think that's uh, I think that's about it, right? Oh, you know, one thing I want to say is I was I was I thought it was really funny. So, Bams and Neville, two of our regular <laughs> listeners, yeah. I, I, I really enjoying their comments because one thing they'll do is they'll comment rather than having one long comment, they do like five or six short comments in a because row because they're listening to the show and then they're commenting as the show is going. Yeah, by. you know what they like? They're like commits. <laughs> 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 they don't do comments; they do commits. You know, that's which, nice. Which is funny because the, I was, you know, I, as I've mentioned, I before I'd use source control, I would just make a, 
on a daily basis, I just make a copy of my source directory. But now yeah. that I use, now that Guyon has convinced me to use uh, Subversion, you know, I still was in the habit of maybe just doing a commit at the end of the day, or if we made a bunch of big changes. But Guyon would like to a change. I mean, like you change a word, or you change like one line, it's like a commit. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. Like ultra That's micro the way you commits. Do it. And I'm just like, dude, what? <laughs> Why are you committing that? Because you've got the rollback. The, the other thing I was thinking about, just quickly, because I, I, I do want to finish this, but. Um, you don't, so a lot of the time you don't even need to write comments because the simple fact is as you're going back through the log you can see what files were changed mm-hmm. so you, you know what it is and that's why it's even if you don't write comments that's why it's superior to just backing up yeah well I, so I'm getting into it I, I'm sort of transitioning from the macro commit to the micro commit yeah, the Pico that's, commit. That's very cool. Yeah, <laughs> you know, which is I think Bams. I think the reason Bams and uh, Neville do the micro commits. I think I think they're just in the they habit probably of, work that way. With and they probably control, work right? in with source control. They just got an idea. <laughs> five 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 words. Boop, commit it. <laughs> Not a comment. It's commits, which I like. I thought that was funny. And uh, yeah, I appreciate Neville Bams. We appreciate the, always always your comments. They're always interesting, and uh, appreciate everybody's comments. So. You know, if you got something to say, let us know. Unless it's mean, in which case, just email directly to Justin. Okay, I think you should call it now. All right, that's a wrap. We are out. 